What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods, and we are back. Our first episode of our Big 10 and 31 days. We just finished ACC in 28 days, so we got a bigger conference, more days to get this all in. But we start off, we're joined by the voice of the Huskers, host of Sports Nightly, Greg Sharp. I just wanted to say I appreciate you joining me today. Zach, good to be with you. Always love talking college football. For sure, for sure. I mean, it's the off-season, but I feel like the best spot to start is last season. It was a hectic season, to say the least, with COVID and everything. The Cornhusters finished a 3-5, and five, but in a COVID year, with everyone being out one week, cancel game the next, it was so hard to stay consistent, especially in the Big Ten, where we saw a lot of changes very fast, and just every week it seemed to be a new development. Did this season meet, exceed, or fall short of your preseason expectations? Good question. And you're right. It was tough to get some rhythm because you felt like you, you, you mean Huskers open with Ohio State, played a pretty good half of football against the Buckeyes, and then Ohio State's superior talent took over. Nebraska, though, was excited about some things they saw in that game and couldn't wait for week number two against Wisconsin back at home. And then that game got canceled. The Badgers had a breakout. And so Nebraska felt like, oh, shoot, now we got to wait a whole nother week to get this thing going. But to your question, I would say it probably fell short of their expectations. I think they thought that 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 record three of five should have probably been reversed to make it a really good year of of five and three. So there's been some disappointment around Lincoln, around the program. The coaches, I'm sure, weren't happy with three and five. The players weren't happy with three and five. And it sets up what's going to be a very, very big year for, for Scott Frost and his program here in 2021. Right. And I mean, on August 11th, Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren made the huge decision to postpone, maybe cancel the season. He said he was going to wait on some developments. We saw some other conferences, the SEC, the Big 12, the and uh, the ACC move on and decide we're going to play. But Nebraska seemed to be one of those teams that fought back very hard against this decision. There was a lot of reports coming out of Lincoln that this team was looking to schedule opponents and trying to play football if they could. What was your initial personal reaction to Warren's decision? And around the university, was the actual plan that if Warren does not change his mind, that Nebraska was going to try to find a way to have a season? Yeah, they were absolutely serious about trying to cobble together a schedule, a season at that point. you got to go back even, Zach, a month before August 11th, when Kevin Warren, I think, shocked everybody in the country when he said, we're not playing non-conference games. We're going to play a conference-only schedule. And I know the other Power Five commissioners were like, whoa. We've been talking, and nobody has mentioned doing that. So then he comes out and releases a schedule that had a lot of flexibility, a bunch of bye weeks built in there, so that if you have cancellations and you knew there were going to be cancellations, you could make those games up. And then six days after releasing that schedule, as you mentioned, August 11th, he says, we're done. We're done. Maybe until the spring, we'll look at a winter-slash-spring schedule. Well, Nebraska's like, uh-uh. That ain't going to work. That's not going to be what we want to do at all. We'll just may go try to put find some other people and be kind of an independent for a year. And then the Big Ten quickly said, no, 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 you're not doing that. You're a member of a conference. We'll all act as one. But, no, I think there was a, a, a three- or four-day period where Nebraska made some phone calls, kicked some tires uh, to see if they could put together a schedule of some teams to play in the fall. 
Right. And I mean, kind of a follow up question. I don't know, uh, you know, how much you could speak on this, you know, being at the university. But did this strain the relationship between the Big Ten and Nebraska? Because there were some reports, I believe the Athletic reported that the Big 12 would be open to welcoming Nebraska back if everything fell apart. Is the relationship still completely there with the Big Ten and Nebraska? You used a good word in strained, and I think it was strained. But I, I think, you know, cooler heads have prevailed. The season got played, uh, maybe not the way anybody wanted it to play out, but it got played. Uh, but I think it was strained there for a few weeks. But I, I think any talk of Nebraska up and leaving the Big Ten Conference is, is way over the top. I don't think that's going to take place. Right. Yeah, that's that's what we said. I, we were very critical of Kevin Warren on the podcast because we are an SEC country. A lot of our listeners were very critical. So it's kind of good to see what someone in Big Ten country thought about the decision here. But I want to shift to more on the field stuff. That's why everyone tunes in to listen. There was kind of a quarterback controversy this year within Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey splitting some time. McCaffrey's now transferred out of Nebraska. But uh, Martinez is the odds-on favorite to start this upcoming season. So what do you think he needs to improve on, and what do you think he brings to this offense? When he's good, he's been really good. And he got off to a slow start in the fall, and I think that's what opened the door for McCaffrey, the backup, to get some snaps. And Luke led them to a victory over Penn State in his first start at Nebraska. But then he just made an awful lot of mistakes. And, again, he was a very young quarterback, a redshirt freshman quarterback, getting his first playing time. He was going to make mistakes. So then it was kind of back to Adrian a little bit. And then Adrian played pretty well. Played a, had a couple of really good games down the stretch for this team. Adrian's a very, very competent quarterback. He has the skill set to run this offense that Scott Frost wants to do. And I think Luke maybe got a little impatient, decided, all right, I, I don't know that I can get over the top of Adrian, although Adrian's going to be a senior. He only had to wait one more year. Uh, but, hey, kids do what they want to do. They want to play and they want to play now. And so good luck with for him at Louisville. But, Adrian Martinez is a good, solid quarterback for Nebraska. He needs to cut down mistakes, needs to, to cut loose maybe a little bit more than he did uh, a year ago uh, playing for Nebraska. But he'll be, he'll be, without a doubt, the favorite to be the quarterback for the Big Red when they take the field in the fall. Right. And I, I mean, I think he has so much potential. I know he's coming into his senior year, but if he takes that step, I think this program takes a big step forward, too. And speaking of a big step forward, I want to shift to head coach Scott Frost. He came to Nebraska after a big undefeated season at UCF, beat my alma mater, Auburn, in a peach bowl that broke my heart there. But Frost has been working to rebuild this program. And it's this kind of like you said earlier is a big year, almost like a make or break type year for Frost. Do you think Frost is the man to bring Nebraska to the forefront of college football like they once were? And what is the, I guess, temperature of the fan base surrounding his job security? Well, because he's one of their own, they're going to give him a long leash. And, and I don't know that this is a make or break year for him. Obviously, if he goes three and nine or four and eight, it could be the, the end of his time in Lincoln. But they're going to give him ample time to get this thing turned around. He inherited a mess. Mike Roddy was a bad hire for Nebraska football. Not sure what direction the athletic director at the time was thinking of hiring Mike Riley, but it set the program back a ways. And so Scott Frost had to get here, kind of re- rebuild the work ethic in the weight room, which had gone missing in the three years of Mike Riley being the head coach. That's been turned around. And then you've got some real stable programs in the Big Ten West. Wisconsin just continually is a top ten ish type team. Kirk Ferentz, the longest tenured coach in college football, just cranks out good, solid teams at Iowa year in and year out. 
Same thing with Pat Fitzgerald at Minnesota. Very solid teams year in and year out. And so those programs, what they do is they they know they probably can't out-athlete you. But what they do is they make you – they just wait for you to make mistakes and then say, okay, we won't make any mistakes. You go ahead and make a mistake and we'll beat you. It's kind of boring, kind of bland, right, when you watch some of those teams play. But it's really effective for what they do every year. So here's Nebraska playing a little bit more of an up-tempo offense, taking more risk with what they do. And Nebraska has made those mistakes in those games. And they've lost a lot of one-possession games with Scott Frost as the head coach. He's got to figure out a way to flip the script on that and be the – when you're the more aggressive, in a lot of cases, the more talented football team on the field, you just can't make that critical mistake to lose to the Iowas and the Northwesterns and the Wisconsins. He has to figure out a way to overcome that. Right. I think you talk about just the parity that – We've seen in the Big Ten with Wisconsin. I mean, people don't understand that Northwestern's been to, I believe, two out of the last three Big Ten championships, and mm-hmm. that program is on the upswing. And, you know, you talk about rebuilding a program. Well, it has to start on the recruiting trail. And National Signing Day just wrapped up last month. The Cornhuskers, another top 25 class. Last year they had a top 20 class, according to 247. Headlined by a talented kid I'm excited about, Thomas Fedone. And it's filled with absolute studs. We did a recruiting breakdown, I think, back last summer for Nebraska. And I was really excited about this class. What do you think were the biggest needs for the program this cycle? And are there any players that stick out for you that you think are going to make an instant impact? Skill positions. They just have not had enough weapons. And that goes back to one of your earlier questions about Adrian Martinez. Quarterbacks sometimes are only as good as the surrounding cast. And Nebraska has not had enough talent on the edge at wide receiver and at running back to, to help him out. It's, it's guys to get open, guys to make plays down the field. So they signed three high school wide receivers I'm excited about. They got a grad transfer from Montana in Samori Toure who was an All-American at the FCS level, and he's showing up on a lot of draft boards. He'll be a nice addition to that wide receiver room. And and a year ago, Zach, they signed a a young guy uh, from Kilgore Junior College in Texas by the name of Omar Manning, 6'4", great body type for a wide receiver. He had some depression. he He had a tough time making the adjustment to being in the Big Ten and being in Lincoln, Nebraska, and just fought some demons off the field. Didn't anything to do physically. It just was up here in the head. And we're hearing more and more about those kind of things these days in sports, but they feel like they've got him on a good track right now. He could be a nice weapon for them. They also hit the grad transfer market with Marquis Step from USC transferring to Nebraska. He was a good, solid running back for the Trojans. I think he'll be a nice addition. So if, if that offense has more weapons, and I think that was a focal point of this past recruiting class, is to get more guys on the outside, on the edge, that can really stress these teams in the Big Ten with athletic ability. Uh, to let this offense hum the way we've, we saw it hum with Scott Frost at, at both Oregon as the offensive coordinator and then at UCF as the head coach. Right, and you talk about receiving positions. I mean, uh, Wandell Robinson is a huge transfer that came out of Nebraska this year. He's taken – he just, I guess he, he's taken his talents elsewhere, so I'm sure wide receiver slash running back was a huge need for the Cornhuskers. But looking you know ahead to 2021 – I'm just going to be honest here. This schedule is brutal for the Cornhuskers next year. I mean, I feel bad. I mean, this is coming from an Auburn fan that we had to play Alabama and Georgia each year, but this schedule is tough. I mean, road games at Oklahoma, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and then you still get Michigan, Iowa, and Northwestern, which, are, you know, Iowa and Northwestern are every year. But 
which games are you looking at on the schedule as must-wins? And do you think this Cornhuskers team is going to be ready to pull off a huge upset in maybe this Oklahoma game or Minnesota or Wisconsin game? And I think you meant, you didn't mention Ohio State, too, is on that schedule yeah. as well. So you've got Ohio State and Oklahoma on your schedule. You're really going to be ta- really be tested. It's a schedule that excites you because Nebraska and Oklahoma was such a great rivalry for college football for decades. And I'm really sorry that it went away when Nebraska left the Big 12 Conference because it was so special when those two programs would match up. So a chance to, to see them again is exciting. But it, it'll be a challenge because Oklahoma, I think, turned a corner late in the year with Rattler at quarterback and became a really, really top-notch team that I think is going to be a playoff-type team this, this coming year. So that'll be difficult. So you look at you look at those two games, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Nebraska will be big underdogs, both those games. So you're going to have to go beat some people that maybe people don't think you're going to beat. Can you beat Michigan at home? Yeah, I think you can. Michigan has not been anything great to shake at the last couple of years with Jim Harbaugh. In fact, I'm kind of surprised Coach Harbaugh is still there, to be honest with you. So that's a game that I think Nebraska needs to go get. And they need to start beating a couple of these teams in the West. They have to start beating the Northwesterns and the Iowas and trying to at least get splits every other year against Wisconsin to, to work their way up the ladder in that, in that side of the, of the conference. So it's a challenging schedule. I like, I like Nebraska physically along the lines. I think they've made progress under Scott Frost, both offensively and defensively along the lines. I think they'll match up pretty well there. Can they start flipping the script in those close games and winning? That will determine whether it's a good year or not in the fall. Right, and yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing that that just like we talked about earlier, all the good teams in the Big Ten, every schedule is going to be difficult at this point. You're not going to get to the Big Ten championship playing scrubs anymore. We even saw Rutgers turn it around last year and beat some yeah. pretty good teams. And so sticking with 2021, we talked about Wondell Robinson leaving. We talked about some other transfers. Which players do you think didn't really get a chance last year will shine this year and have maybe their breakout seasons in 2021? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's some of these young guys coming into the program now, particularly at the wide receiver spot. I don't, I don't know if there's a lot there that's that's left with Wandale leaving. And Nebraska did not want to see Wandale Robinson leave. I can right. guarantee you, see you that. They wanted to keep him as a part of the program. Uh, so that would hurt to see him take off and leave. But we mentioned a couple of the names of those grad transfers from USC and Montana that I think will have an impact on this thing. Defensively, they've got a good chunk of that group back. They're going to be, I think, pretty stout defensively. Uh, moving into 2021, which is going to give them a chance week in and week out to uh, to make some plays. That running back room, to me, as we get ready, I think Nebraska is about four weeks away from starting spring ball. That running back room, to me, is going to be the most interesting part of spring practice. Who emerges from that that batch of – they had a couple of redshirt freshmen and true freshmen last year. Do they improve? Do they make their way up the ladder? What does Step look like from USC? He is on campus now. We'll go through spring. What, what does the depth chart look like at running back? I, that's where my focal point is going to be on in the, during spring ball here in the coming months. Right. And so, you know, after talking about some breakout players, the difficult schedule ahead, we have to ask, what do you think the ceiling and or floor could be for this 2021 team in terms of wins, bowl games, stuff like that? Yeah, I think, I think if this team can, with the schedule you laid out earlier, if this team can get themselves bowl eligible would be a nice step in the right direction. And then maybe you collect your breath and go after the 22 schedule, which is not quite as daunting, although Oklahoma is still on that schedule in 22. They come to Lincoln that year. So I think it's been a while. Zach since Nebraska has been bowl mm-hmm. eligible. So I think to get themselves into a postseason bowl game would be a nice step. I think the fan base would learn to appreciate going to bowl games again. 
after they'd had a streak of 35 consecutive that got snapped a few years back. It's been it's been a lot of cold winters around here, not getting to go somewhere south and, and warm up in late December to do that. So I think fans, if they see this team being competitive week in and week out, get themselves into postseason play and kind of launch into the 22 and 23 seasons, I think they would see that as a sign of progress. Right. And, you know, these last two questions, I want to more shift. This is my favorite part to the interview is asking about the individual universities, the towns, the stadiums, things like that. And so, I I mean, I'm I'm at K-State now and actually Nebraska was on my list last year to go to a game. So it's not too far from Manhattan up there to Lincoln, but COVID, no fans, couldn't go this year. Hopefully in these next two years, I can get up there. But what makes Lincoln and Memorial Stadium such a unique environment? Every year I see it on list of the best tailgating spots, the best stadiums you have to go to. What makes it special? Well, it's interesting you mentioned K-State. That's where I was before I came to Lincoln to take over the Nebraska gig. I was the voice of the Wildcats in the late 90s with some tremendous teams with Bill Snyder. Love the parking lot set up for tailgating at Manhattan, and they've done some amazing things growing that stadium down there. But Nebraska is is an it's it's like seven Super Bowl weekends when Nebraska has a home game. The whole state focuses on Lincoln, Nebraska. There is no other big school in this state. There's no professional teams in this state. So the Huskers are it. And from all four corners, they come converging on Lincoln, Nebraska for those seven Saturdays. The university and the downtown area are kind of one, so they kind of merge together. So you got people parking, walking through downtown streets to get to the stadium. Uh, it's just, it's a carnival atmosphere when the Huskers play and everybody's Zach, and I mean, everybody's wearing red. We call it the sea of red and it's 90,000 and that stadium, the way it's built really holds the sound. Well, it is a loud, loud place. I think a lot of people in the big 10 will tell you it's one of their favorite places to go watch a college football game. It is a special place. And if you love college football, and I think you do, it's Mm -hmm. one of those places you need to get to during your life. Yeah, I really wanted to go, I believe, before the schedule redo. I think if I remember right, Ohio State was supposed to come to Nebraska. I was actually trying to get to that game before COVID, so that's one of the ones I wanted to knock off. And so hopefully this year we can allow some fans. That's probably still up in the air for a lot of places, so we'll see as it gets closer to the season. But one thing about just the Big Ten in general, we've mentioned parity of the Big Ten so often. You know, it – being a podcast based out of the South, a lot of our listeners have this mindset where it's SEC is superior and everyone else is just horrible. The Big Ten is just Ohio State. The ACC is just Clemson. And we just came off the ACC in 28 days. And I asked a lot of people this, but why do you think the Big Ten doesn't get, maybe doesn't get the top down respect that you know, some of these other conferences get like the SEC get. I think, you know, you get that with Ohio State, but Indiana was the top 10 team this year. Nebraska's been up there. We've seen Northwestern do it. We see we saw Minnesota last year make a run at a playoff appearance. Why do you think the perception of the Big Ten doesn't always meet the SEC and some of these national pundits don't seem to give it the respect that it deserves? Well, I think it's some of the, is the, some of the blue bloods have not been very good recently. I mean, you, you talk about some of the all-time winningest programs in college football – Three of the top six are in the Big Ten. They include Nebraska, Penn State, and Michigan, along with Ohio State. Michigan's been down. Nebraska's been down. Penn State's been fine. They weren't very good this year, but they've, they've, had, a, they've had good runs and good teams, and James Franklin is a heck of a football coach uh, at Penn State. But when you're, when, when you're letting Ohio State carry all the water for your league, that perception falls off. 
So the, the, this league needs Nebraska to get good again. They need Nebraska to be up there 10, 11 wins per season. They need Michigan to be pushing Ohio State, where that's not just a blowout game at the end of November every year. So when the, if you get your blue bloods going again, I think that changes the perception of your league from coast to coast. Right. And you talk about, you know, I, I think Nebraska's right there in terms of just like no pun because the podcast is called Blue Bloods, but it's a blue blood program. Especially you saw what Tommy Frazier and the, that team was at one point. You know, being an Auburn fan, you know, our fan base is kind of excessive. We just saw Gus Malzahn get ran out of town because he wasn't beating Alabama every year, which is an unrealistic expectation. What is the expectation as a fan base for a program that experienced so much success in the 80s and 90s in Nebraska and right now isn't at that caliber? Like what is, I guess it kind of goes back to my question earlier. What is just the tone of the fan base in terms of we need to get back to being a blue blood program winning national championships? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I've always said Tom Osborne ruined it for every coach that followed him <laughs> because he won three national titles in four years. He won in 94, 95, and 97, and then retired at the end of the 97 season. So then Frank Solich, his longtime assistant, takes over and didn't have the same kind of success as Tom, and he got run out of town after having a nine-win team in 2003. So then Nebraska goes a completely different path and hires a Bill Callahan from the NFL. That didn't work. They get Bo Pelini, rock-solid guy, little temperamental on the sideline, but he was a fighter. And Bo Pelini was here seven years. He won at least nine games every year, a little bit like Coach Malzahn at, at Auburn. Very successful, but never could quite get over the top. And fans got kind of tired of the sideline demeanor. Bye-bye, Bo. Then you go make mistakes with Mike Riley, and then you're trying to build yourself back up. So that's what's happened. And I blame Tom Osborne. He, he causes. <laughs> he was too good for too long, and it's hard to live up to that. But, you know, nobody is patient anymore. Nobody's willing to let somebody build something from the ground up. But I do think the current administration in Nebraska is going to allow Scott Frost plenty of time to get this thing made in his own image. And I, I feel confident he's getting Nebraska that way. Right. And I mean, you see that all across the country. I mean, I, I, we had Josh Pate for two, from 247 on, and he said he gets asked about the parody of college ball all the time. And he says one name, Nick Saban, has ruined the parody of college ball because everybody, everybody thinks that they should be Nick Saban in Alabama. Dabo's done a great job at Clemson, but at, at Auburn, as an Auburn fan, we're not going to be Alabama. We ran a head coach who went to a natty out of, out of the building, but Last question here, and I love asking, you know, play-by-play guys this question because that's eventually I would love to be a play-by-play guy, cover the sport of, like as a job. But you've been the voice of at, at Nebraska since 2008. What has been your most your your favorite, most memorable moment since you have been calling games at Nebraska? Hmm. You know, um, I've had quite, I've had a handful of them. They they uh, my first year here they. They're trailing Colorado last game of the regular season. Bo Pelini's first year as the head coach. They're trailing Colorado by one, and they had, a, they had fourth and 15. They had the ball near midfield. They send the kicker out to try a 57-yard field goal. He makes it with about a minute and a half to go. That was a really special moment. They won a game against Northwestern a few years later on a Hail Mary, threw the ball to the end zone, and, and made the catch. Those are always fun. When I think about my big moments in Nebraska, though, honestly, Zach, they've been, they've been real downers. The 2009 Big 12 championship game, Nebraska's playing Colt McCoy in Texas. The Oscars have the lead with a minute to go in the game. Looks like they've beaten the Longhorns, which would have kicked Texas out of the national championship game. 
but the officials deemed there was still one second left on the clock. Texas got to go send their kicker out, and they kick one on the final play of the game to beat Nebraska and then win a, a Big 12 championship game. The 2000, earlier that season in 2009, Nebraska's playing in Blacksburg against Virginia Tech, had the lead with a minute to go. Virginia Tech's got the ball at their own nine-yard line. Um, Tyrod Taylor was their quarterback. They're still, still kicking around in the NFL a little bit. <laughs> he led the Hokies on a last-minute drive, and basically the last play of the game scored to beat Nebraska. So maybe kind of emblematic of the last 13 years for Husker football, my biggest moments have been ones that ended up in losses for the Huskers. I need more of those exciting ones that end up in wins. Right. I mean, even go back to your K-State days, I'm sure you have some great memories of the late 90s where K-State almost made a national championship run and came up one game short. Because I know being a K-State student now, you know, coming from a program, like coming from a school like Auburn where it's always SEC games, I was a little skeptical. But, you know, those late 90s runs, they still play highlights all over campus of those. Yeah, and I was calling the night. You just caused me not to sleep tonight, Zach. The 1998 <laughs> Big 12 championship game. I was on the call. The The Wildcats and the Aggies of Texas A&M played in St. Louis. The Huskers or the Wildcats, there's my other job. The, the Cats were ranked number three in the country entering that final weekend, and the numbers one and two both got beat. They were going to play in the BCS. This is in the days of the BCS championship game. They had A&M down by 12 points entering the fourth quarter. A&M came back, got it into overtime, and beat the Cats in double overtime. It was one of the worst days of my life. I still have <laughs> nightmares about that. Oh, man, I, I don't blame you. The 2013 National Championship for me is still my, probably my worst day, or the Final Four loss in Minneapolis a few a few years ago. I was there. It was my first ever Final Four I've ever been to as a fan for Auburn and just broke my heart there. But, um, man, I definitely appreciate you coming on here. We knocked it out. But I want to give you a chance to plug all your shows. Where can fans find the Nebraska Cornhusker games, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, Zach, this is pretty interesting. Husker Nation is quite a following. We we are always, during football season, the number one or number two uh, rated broadcast on, on the TuneIn app. So Husker fans across the globe are finding where we are and dot us up. There is such, such a hunger and a passion for Cornhusker football. So the TuneIn app is, is we have an active 24-7 channel on the TuneIn app that you can hear all of our sporting events, even our sports nightly, nightly talk show that we do from 6 to 9 Central Time that I host during during the season. Uh, that's a great way to go. Huskers.com is also an easy place to go find any of our broadcasts. I'm getting ready to start calling some college baseball here at the end of the week. Huskers are headed down south to, to Texas to play. They produce Boilermakers to start their college baseball season on Friday. Looking forward to getting some sunny weather and start calling some balls and bats. Hey, I, I love it. I'm so pumped. Auburn kicked off their season last week, and we uh, lost Oklahoma in a real bad game. But Oklahoma is not bad at baseball, so I'll take the loss and <laughs> ready for softball season and all that because our basketball team, we can't go to the tournament. So I'm kind of tuned out now that we've gotten into March. I'm just kind of like, let's just move on here to baseball season. Hopefully we can get to Omaha. That's, I went, I went. I think, a few years ago. It was my first time ever being in the state of Nebraska. I went over to Omaha. That's another bucket list things for anybody that's watching, listening to us today is get yourself to that College World Series. That yeah. is a blast. You don't even have to have a team involved. Mm-hmm. It is a carnival atmosphere around that stadium. There's all kinds of little breweries and uh, pubs to go hit and just go hang out with college sports fans. It is a fun, fun time. It's a real cool thing to do in, in June up in Omaha. 
Oh, it is. It was beautiful weather too. Being from Southern Alabama, it was it, it was it was nice in the summer, not to you know be 115 degrees. It was very nice out there. We got to hang out all day, and even though my team was in it, we stayed and watched multiple games. And like you said, it's an environment for everybody. So definitely check that out. But guys, that's a wrap on this interview. Make sure to check out Greg everywhere. Catch some Cornhusker games this year. We'll be back in touch during the season with you, man, and we hope to have you on again. But, guys, y'all know where to find us. We'll be back later this week with another Big 10 in 31 Days. But for right now, we are out.